From pop culture to politics, this is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. There is a lot to celebrate today. No, believe it or not. Uh, most of all, uh, there is the uh, platinum jubilee for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. And it's a great moment, and the jubilation, and uh, jubilation, of course, related to the word jubilee, which is what this is. The jubilation in Britain is palpable, and it has a reason, and it's also very good for the United States. We will talk about that. In terms of the political debate in the United States, uh, President Biden delivering a primetime address in a dramatic setting from the White House with lit candles to uh, talk about the ongoing slaughter, and it is slaughter, of uh, people being gunned down, and people being gunned down in mass killings almost every day. And in fact, last night there were two more mass shootings, one in Milwaukee and one in Ames, Iowa. Uh, we'll tell you about those. Uh, but what about the president's demand that we do something? Is anything going to be done? Is anything going to be done that is damaging or destructive? Or is anything going to be done that is useful? Or none of the above. And uh, meanwhile, it is the hundredth day of the war in Ukraine. And uh, people are looking at it and saying, after a hundred days, is the war finally turning in Putin's favor? Which would be a terrible thing. Uh, we will take a look at that. We will also take a look at the ongoing politics of the future of the Republican Party, a potential Republican candidate for president who usually isn't mentioned publicly. Well, one of those potential candidates is going to be joining us. His name is Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey. He's in another verbal duel with uh, President Trump. And it's interesting because Chris Christie was crucial in getting Trump nominated because he was the first national prominent Republican leader to actually endorse Trump for the presidential nomination. Uh, I know that uh, he says he doesn't regret that. He served with the administration and the transition team. Okay, but what now with uh, President Trump uh, slashing uh, Chris Christie about the race in Georgia, and Trump makes two more endorsements of controversial candidates and picks those candidates precisely because they are trying to work with President Trump to undo the election results from 2020. Now, let's be clear. We're not talking now about just undoing the election results by having Trump win the presidency in 2024, following the law, the Constitution. We're talking about a totally novel idea of changing the results and reinstalling Trump as president of the United States before the election of 2024. Is there any chance that that will happen? Uh, we will get to that as well on the Michael Medved Show. And meanwhile, there is a full-out attempt by the Democratic Party or in the Democratic Party to take over that party by extreme leftists. Uh, we'll be talking to Professor Paul Kangor of Grove City College about one of those attempts that looks to be on the verge of success out in Pennsylvania 
which is the um, swingiest of all swing states right now with uh, nobody knowing who the Republican nominee for a U.S. Senate seat is going to be, whether it's going to be Oz or uh, whether it's going to be McCormick. And at the same time that we don't know really who the Democrat running for U.S. Senate is going to be because uh, the John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, hasn't gone back to the campaign trail yet. He suffered a stroke. And there's a lot of coverage now suggesting that the coverage about his stroke just being a minor thing and everything's fine may not be true. May be a cover-up. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. First of all, questions about the Ukraine war and where we stand in the Ukraine war. There is a... Um, uh, a fact that uh, Russia right now uh, controls about 20% of the territory of Ukraine. Now, this is not all as devastating as it may sound because they had largely controlled that territory in a less formal way because of uh, the fighting that's gone on for, what is it, it's for eight years in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk. But uh, now things do appear to be working, heaven forbid, in Putin's direction. Here's a report from NBC News. He's in. Russian troops this morning have all but captured Severodonetsk, their fifth major city in Ukraine. President Zelensky says Russia now occupies about 20% of the country. Getting it back could take years and isn't guaranteed. Three months ago, the war looked promising for Ukraine. The whole country united against this, this Russian invasion. At the front, Ivan Mishchenko, a judge who gave up his bench, was one of many civilians who took up the call to arms. At the first stage, they wanted to invade the whole country. And I think it was their mistake. They lost a lot of soldiers, a lot of, uh, a lot of tanks, a lot of equipment, just because they, they thought that Ukrainians will be happy to see them, but Ukrainians are happy to see them dead. Now the war goes more slowly. Now it's a destructive grind, with Russia using artillery to blast through Ukrainian towns and cities, as Russian soldiers, Ukrainian officials claim, loot and carry out war crimes. 22-year-old Karina Ershova lived in Bucha. She was a waitress in a Japanese restaurant. Ukrainian police say Karina was tortured, raped, and executed by a Russian soldier. Her family identified her by her tattoos. Now they're trying to bring her case to trial and want eye-for-an-eye an eye justice. I want the same thing to happen to them as happened to my daughter, her mother seethes. The ramifications of Russia's war go far beyond Ukraine and are only now emerging. Six million refugees, a global oil and food crisis, Sweden and Finland nervously applying to join NATO. And the Cold War threat of nuclear escalation returning. Russia has been showing off its arsenal. It seems to be a warning to the world, especially the United States, not to try to stop any attempt by Putin to rebuild Russia's empire, starting in Ukraine. Okay, this is a terrible situation right now. There's a piece over at CNN to look at another aspect of the so-called mainstream media 
Uh, CNN has a piece titled, After 100 Days of War, Putin is Counting on the World's Indifference. And it's by Nathan Hodge. He says, rewind the clock to February 23rd, the uh, day before Russia launched an all-out invasion of Ukraine, and one might be tempted to guess that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's days in office were numbered. Actually, a lot of people guessed that his days on Earth were numbered. After all, Russia's military outspent that of Ukraine by roughly 10 to 1. Moscow enjoyed a twofold advantage over Kiev and land forces, and the nuclear-armed power had 10 times the aircraft and 5 times the armored fighting vehicles of its neighbor. A visibly angry Russian President Vladimir Putin had appeared on television just days before delivering a rambling historical monologue that made clear he expected nothing less than regime change in Kiev. He wanted to decapitate the regime. He said it was neo-Nazis, remember? The Kremlin leaders seemed to be gambling that Zelensky would flee his capital, much as the U.S.-backed president of Afghanistan had left Kabul just a few months earlier, and that Western outrage would subside, albeit with a temporary pain of new sanctions. A hundred days later, whatever plans Putin may have had for a victory parade in Kiev are on indefinite hold. Ukrainian morale did not collapse. Ukrainian troops equipped with modern anti-tank weaponry delivered by the U.S. and its allies devastated Russian armored columns. But now, with more killing and brutality, Putin is counting on the world being distracted by other things. Inflation, debates about abortion or guns. We will get to why the war still matters coming up on The Medved Show. left we are here and it is now you get hold of that and hang on to it you might as well be dead the michael medved show yeah it is here and it is now a hundred days of war and we've become so numb to it that I, I think that people lose track of the profound significance of what is going on and uh, the idea of uh, finland and Sweden now joining NATO, uh, Sweden with a very substantial and meaningful navy to help protect the Baltic republics that uh, are member nations of NATO. The whole idea of NATO, of collective security, now this may depend upon uh, Sweden and Finland uh, joining the alliance with uh, everybody accepting, and I'm very glad to do that. I want to do my part. Uh, we're no longer supposed to refer to the nation of Turkey anymore. No, no, this is a very serious attempt by the Erdogan government in Turkey to uh, change the name of the country, at least as it's talked about in the West. Apparently, in Turkish, and the people who live in that uh, country, uh, you don't say Turkey you say Turkia, okay, or Turkiye. Uh, that's the way you say it in Turkish. I've never studied Turkish. I, I don't know exactly what it would be, but it would be uh, not a two-syllable name, but a three-syllable name. Okay, get used to it. Republic of Turkia. Now, describing 
Turkey as a republic is kind of far-fetched as long as Erdogan is there. But look, if that's the price it takes to have Turkey remove its hold and admit Finland and Sweden to NATO, well, then we need to do it. Now, the question anybody would ask is, why should Americans care about this? And the answer is because if Putin succeeds at this war, uh, not only will it cripple Ukraine and any desire to rebuild Ukraine, but it will completely tempt Putin to uh, other attacks on other former portions of the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union, and the reconstruction of the Russian Empire. And by the way, it, it's, it's not limited to countries in Europe. There are countries in Asia uh, that have significant oil resources, Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan and uh, many others, uh, Azerbaijan, uh, uh, Armenia. These are all little pieces of what used to be the Soviet Union, the evil empire. And the defeat of the evil empire was the most substantial, meaningful achievement of the United States in the 20th century. And to have that traded away or just dispensed in the 21st century is a, is a nightmare. The, uh, the piece that, uh, by Nathan Hodge uh, goes on and, and talks about how the war has proceeded. It um, mentions that the Kremlin leader seemed to be gambling that Zelensky would flee his capital. And just by staying in Kiev, it was an act of singular courage and of, of great importance. Ukrainian troops equipped with modern anti-tank weaponry delivered by the U.S. and its allies devastated Russian armored columns. Ukrainian missiles sank the guided missile cruiser Moskva, the pride of uh, Russia's Black Sea fleet, and Ukrainian aircraft stayed in the air against all odds. In late, in late March, Russia's military began withdrawing its battered troops from around the Ukrainian capital claiming they had shifted focus to capturing the country's eastern Donbass region. Three months after its invasion, Russia no longer appears to be aiming for a short, victorious war in Ukraine, nor does it seem to be capable of achieving one. Does it mean Russia is losing? The Ukrainians have managed to kill Russian generals at an astonishing rate. Moscow has been forced to recognize and reorganize its military command after initial disarray. And Russian casualties, however elusive the official numbers, are shockingly high. But Russia now controls a crescent of Ukrainian territory that uh, extends from around Ukraine's second city of Kharkiv, uh, continues through separatist-held cities of Donetsk and Lukansk, and uh, reaches westward to Kherson, forming a land bridge making the peninsula of Crimea formally annexed by Russia in 2014 with the uh, Donbass region, linking those two. Russia's main direction of effort now is in the Donbass. Ukrainian troops have ceded most of Severodonetsk to the Russians. The fall of the city will be a symbolic loss, but one that military analysts say spares the Ukrainian forces there from a protracted and likely losing siege. 
Both the decision to avoid committing more resources to saving Severodonetsk and the decision to withdraw from it were strategically sound, however painful. So say Western military and strategic uh, experts. The uh, president announced uh, yesterday, actually two days ago, that the U.S. will be sending more advanced rocket systems, including the high-mobility artillery rocket systems with munitions that can launch rockets around 49 miles, a range far greater than anything Ukraine has been sent to date, which is welcome news for Kyiv. The uh, Ukrainian representative to the U.N., uh, at recognizing how crucial American public opinion is to all of this, uh, went on the Trevor Noah show and uh, actually said this. It's a very important and substantive and I think accurate message. Clip 22. So even from the point of view of uh, investing money in Ukrainian uh, victory, investing money in Ukrainian victory is investing money in your own security. And you should be all grateful that it is the Ukrainian soldiers, not the British soldiers, not the American soldiers, who are dying in the front, defending the collective democratic world, you know. So I have to remind about that to all of our viewers and to all people in Europe, in North America, and not only there. I have to remind all Africans who will suffer from the food shortages in two months from now. Okay, they're talking about uh, Russia doing everything it can to uh, obliterate the harvests uh, that actually feed a great deal of Africa. Uh, the uh, National Security Advisor to President Biden, Ned Price, spoke of uh, assurances the U.S. has received from Ukraine. This is clip six. Ukraine has every right, uh, just as every country does, to defend its territory. That's precisely why we are providing uh, this security assistance. Now, Ukraine has the right to defend itself. But not with, but not with your we, we have received assurances that uh, the systems that uh, we announced is, yesterday yeah. uh, won't be used against Russian targets on Russian territory, even, but they can be used those, Even to, if those targets are where attacks into Ukraine are being launched. As, as I said before, unfortunately, the unfortunate case is that Russia's forces are in many places located inside sovereign Ukrainian territory Okay, and uh, that sovereign Ukrainian territory with Russian forces there will, of course, be a target. Meanwhile, lots of talks about targets and guns and firearms and weaponry right here in the United States. We'll get to that coming up. of debate. You're trying to stir up some controversy. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, last night, of course, President Biden spoke um, uh, emotionally and uh, fortunately relatively briefly about uh, his new sweeping program of uh, uh, gun reforms. Now, some of what he is talking about is deeply irrelevant, and it's deeply irrelevant because it's entirely impossible. And uh, for instance, uh, one of the things President Biden called for last night was removing liability 
of uh, gun manufacturers from various lawsuits. The basis for the liability is not just the influence of the so-called gun lobby and the gun manufacturers themselves. It, it's based on the idea that they, when you are suing a company for creating a defective product, that's one thing. But a, a defective product for guns would be, you could certainly sue a gun manufacturer for creating a gun that didn't work or that blew up in your face or that did damage to the person who purchased it. But the, the, there's nothing like that in some of these lawsuits that people have been talking about. What they've been saying is you should be manufacturing guns with more safety provisions built into them and identification, uh, little thumbprint uh, man, I entities that you could get to make sure that somebody who doesn't actually own the gun, isn't registered for the gun, isn't firing it. It's... Uh, and by the way, it's just never going to pass. And the the two bills that they have right now that are working their way through the process, one would be a Senate agreement, which would be modest. Uh, one would be a House agreement, which is also, frankly, modest, doesn't really involve anything tremendously radical or, for that matter, tremendous, tremendously meaningful. And uh, there's this story, which is kind of incredible, because with the president speaking like this, uh, people console each other after a shooting at Cornerstone Church. Last night, while the president was speaking, uh, on June 2nd, 2022, in Ames, Iowa, two people and a shooter uh, died in a shooting outside a church. Is a church called Cornerstone Church, which apparently is a mega church in Ames, which is the home of Iowa State University, not to be confused with the University of Iowa. In any event, uh, two more shootings occurred across the U.S. Thursday night, one deadly in Iowa, adding to a national toll of carnage, even as President Joe Biden addressed the nation. By the way, it may be, we'll find out more about it, I'm sure, as the days unfold, but the shooter who killed himself and killed two women in the church parking lot, one of those women was a former girlfriend who had just uh, gotten some protective order against the shooter because he had threatened her and he was dangerous. In other words, it was exactly the kind of case where a red flag law would have been appropriate. If she was concerned enough to get a protective order against this guy, then she presumably would have been concerned enough to get a, a red flag operation where his guns are taken away from him. And unfortunately, that didn't happen, and there were people who died. By the way, both of the women who died were university students who apparently were known to the shooter. In, in Milwaukee, the other shooting last night, Apparently, no one died. We don't know yet for sure. We don't know even how many people were shot, but it was multiple people. And that occurred at a cemetery. And I believe they have not yet apprehended uh, the shooter in that situation. There's also a piece in the New York Times, which is one of those pieces that it's, it's under the heading again and again. And it basically just takes a look at uh, some of the most striking mass shootings of the 230 that have taken place so far this year.
uh, beginning uh, with uh, January 19th in Baltimore. A man who worked for a gun violence reduction program was killed in an East Baltimore neighborhood, along with two others. A fourth person was injured. Then uh, in Inglewood, California, a shooting at a birthday party killed four people, including two sisters, and wounded a fifth. The shooting was gang-related, the mayor said. In St. Louis, a shooting near an intersection killed uh, three young men and wounded a fourth. Police have not yet found any suspects. That occurred January 29th. And then there's this one, Corsicana, Texas. A 41-year-old man murdered his mother, his stepfather, his three sons, and the son of his ex-girlfriend in an overnight shooting. The man later fatally shot himself. Uh, then a couple of days later in Sacramento, a man shot dead his three daughters and their chaperone at a church during a court-approved visit. The children's mother had a restraining order against the shooter who then killed himself. Another case where a red flag law, I mean, if there was a protective order against this individual, it should be absolutely impossible for someone in that situation to get a gun. Doesn't that just make sense? April 3rd, Sacramento, at least five shooters fired more than 100 rounds a block from the state capitol, killing six, three men and three women, and wounding 12. The police described the shooting as gang-related. This is the state capital of California, for God's sake. The state capital of our largest state and five shooters fired more than 100 rounds? And uh, people died? They don't even say how many were injured. Uh, also that month, April, in Duluth, Minnesota, a 29-year-old man who said he suffered from mental illness killed his aunt. He killed his uncle. He killed two young cousins. And he killed their dog in their sleep. He later killed himself. In uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, a 32-year-old man killed the owner of the Broadway Inn Express Motel and two employees in an argument over money. He fled to a neighboring town and fatally shot a fourth person. Police later found the gunman dead, barricaded inside a convenience store. What is striking to me is when you look at so many of these cases, it's suicide. And sometimes it's suicide by cops. They, they, they climax in, in each one is not a defender rushing in to kill the shooter who's shooting people sometimes at random. It's actually the shooter ending up killing himself after he has done his murderous deeds, which is why the one thing that people are not talking about because it's so incredibly uncomfortable is the fact that we lose almost twice as many people to suicide to suicide as we do to homicide uh, th there are far more people who die at their own hands than who inflict this death on other people and making sure that uh, some of this stops that uh, some of the people who are a threat to themselves or to others should uh, be able to be deprived of their ability to do mass harm. There's, there's actually this also. A boy 16 arrested for shooting plot.
A 16-year-old boy in Berkeley, California, was arrested after he plotted to carry out a mass shooting and bombing at a high school in Berkeley. The boy was arrested on Memorial Day after police discovered assault rifles, knives, and explosives at his home, the uh, Berkeley Police Department said Wednesday. The police, who had been acting on a search warrant, also found electronic items that it said could help make more weapons. Police said the boy had tried to recruit other high school students to participate in the attack. What does it mean? We'll get to it coming up on the MedVet Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. show the uh, after uh, the Uvalde massacre North Texas schools have faced a flood of gun violence threats and again we were talking about this before this problem people hear mass shootings we have to stop mass shootings but when you're dealing with the mass shootings all over the country, so many of them involving suicide, domestic issues, uh, very few of them, thank God, um, being examples of the killing in Buffalo, which was ideologically motivated, where it was somebody who had a political grudge. Mostly it's not that. Uh, Fort Worth, uh, Unified School District or Independent School District, an officer at W.A. Meacham Middle School in Fort Worth took a gun from a student who had brought it on campus. No threats had been made, but the suspect was detained and a search occurred. In uh, the Weatherford Independent School District in Hudson Oaks, roughly 55 miles west of Dallas, officials noticed parents, notified parents on Wednesday that an adult had threatened an elementary school According to uh, Fox of West Texas, police began investigating the threat and subsequently arrested the suspect. That was the day after Uvalde. On, on Thursday, police were dispatched to an Arlington Elementary School following reports of a shooting. Officials determined that a parent's gun had accidentally fired and the shot had hit him in the leg. Uh this uh, all is extraordinary, and uh, the response from the President of the United States, uh, here is the very essence of his appeal to Americans right now. In, a, um, in an address from the White House, uh, rows of candles were set up to memorialize the people who had fallen uh, as if they had fallen in a war. And there were rows of candles on both sides. And President Biden's plea, clip 17. There are too many other schools, too many other everyday places that have become killing fields, battlefields here in America. We stood at such a place just 12 days before, across from a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, memorializing 10 fellow Americans, a spouse, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, gone forever 
At both places, we spent hours with hundreds of family members who were broken, whose lives will never be the same. They had one message for all of us. Do something. Just do something. For God's sake, do something. Okay. Uh, and, and again, it, no one is sure what exactly we should do. Uh, people do agree that we should do something, I think. Uh, Biden specified that he wanted to focus on what he called common sense solutions. This is clip two. The issue we face is one of conscience and common sense. For so many of you at home, I want to be very clear. This is not about taking away anyone's guns. It's about not about vilifying gun owners. In fact, we believe we should be treating responsible gun owners as an example of how every gun owner should behave. I respect the culture and the tradition and the concerns of lawful gun owners. At the same time, the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. It was, just, it was Justice Scalia who wrote, and I quote, like most rights, the right Second Amendment, by the, the rights granted by the Second Amendment are not unlimited. Not unlimited. It never has been. There have always been limitations on what weapons you can own in America. For example, machine guns have been federally regulated for nearly 90 years, and this is still a free country. This isn't about taking anyone's rights. It's about protecting children. It's about protecting families. It's about protecting whole communities. And uh, then he goes into laying out some of these specific ideas for gun reform. We will get back to that in a moment. Let me go to Michael in Redmond, Washington. Uh, Michael, you're on. Hey, Mike. Um, I can't take a single Democrat seriously about red flag laws until they get back to the original red flag laws, which is incarcerating people. If someone commits a crime, Instead of putting them in jail, they let them out. That should have been a red flag that they're going to commit more crimes, and those crimes accelerate. They go to the next level up from assault to a shooting to murders. And had they followed those red flag laws, they wouldn't have got to the point of all these quote-unquote mass shootings, which the majority of them are gang-related. So they couldn't have got to that point of having these mass shootings if they were in jail and having to think about these smaller crimes that they committed earlier. When you okay, most of, red... most, of, most of the mass shootings are not gang-related. Um, most of the mass shootings actually are domestic dispute-related. It's people that somebody else knows. They aren't strangers either, and they aren't school shootings. But here's the problem, uh, Michael. I agree with you. We need to put more people in prison, and we need to put them in prison for a longer time. However, there should be some kind of step that you can take. Uh, taking away someone's guns is a serious consequence, but it's not as serious as imprisoning that individual. Uh, and, and by the way, not as costly either. And don't you think it's worthwhile having an, some intermediate step before you actually lock people up? Because uh, most of the people who are killers and mass killers 
do not have prior uh, violent criminal convictions. Some do, most don't. Certainly the ones at Uvalde and the 18-year-olds and the 19-year-olds who are doing this don't have prior convictions. How would you have put this guy Ramos in jail before he killed those 21 people? He had he had a prior history. He no, he didn't. He had a prior history of being seen with dead animals, with making threats. He had a prior history. Okay, that's that's it. that's dubious. And secondly, killing that being seen with dead animals is is not going to generally lead you to prison. Now, there 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 the the idea that um, uh, that there is nothing in between. I think that's where I disagree with you. Though I do believe that it's important that we pay more attention and give more meaningful terms. Uh, appreciate your call. Uh, finally, Biden's proposals. Uh, this indicates where he wants to take the country. Clip 16. Here's what the overwhelming majority of American people believe we must do. Here's what the families in Buffalo and Uvalde in Texas told us we must do. We need to ban assault weapons in high-capacity magazines. And if we can't ban assault weapons, and we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. Strengthen background checks. Enact safe storage law and red flag laws. Repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability. Address the mental health crisis deepening the trauma of gun violence and as a consequence of that violence. These are rational, common-sense measures. Here's what it all means. It all means this. We should reinstate the assault weapons ban in high-capacity magazines that we passed in 1994 with bipartisan support in Congress and the support of law enforcement. Okay, the idea that, um, that we should deal with the mental health crisis, that's a big one. And yes, there needs to be much more attention there. But the idea of this liability, uh, this is a field day for lawyers. And one of the things that we don't need generally in the United States is more liability lawsuits, which cost and cost and cost become a drag on the economy and basically are would be misapplied in something like this as, as if creating a legal product and uh, all of these products are legal right now, these firearms as if creating a legal product and creating a decent working product that doesn't harm people unintentionally, that as if that represented some kind of a liability target, uh, that part of his program is going to go nowhere. In fact, it would be so much better if it sit down and work with some of the senators on both sides who were talking about some meaningful solutions. And yes, it should include some red flag laws short of imprisoning people, but maybe giving people less access to dangerous weapons in this greatest nation on God's green earth.